Today's scripture is found in Luke 2, 22 through 38. Now hear the word of the Lord. When the time came for the ritual cleansing in accordance with the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up from Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. They offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child in the temple so that they could do what was customary according to the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word. Because my eyes have seen your salvation, you prepared the salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. His mother and father were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This boy is assigned to be the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that generates opposition, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your innermost being too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phinuel, who belonged to the tribe of Asher. She was very old. After she married, she lived with her husband for seven years. She was now an 84-year-old widow. She never left the temple area, but worshiped God with fasting and prayer night and day. She approached at that very moment and began to praise God and to speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, we pray, for you are our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we've almost made it through, friends. Another Advent and Christmas season pretty much over and done. Whew, I wonder if we should pause for a deep breath. In fact, that's not a bad idea. Will you join me? Let's all take a deep breath in. Ready? And then let it go. It's a good thing to breathe deeply in this season. And I invite you now to reflect on a question. Were you home for Christmas? By that, I don't necessarily mean, did you go over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house? I'm not necessarily speaking of any specific location, but rather, did you experience home this Christmas? Or in what ways did you experience home or not? 
For some, home at Christmas may conjure up the Bing Crosby-like images where treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells. Or was that silver bells? I don't know. You know, people passing, children laughing, meeting smile after smile. It's not exactly my Christmas shopping experience. Was it yours? Maybe home means time around a fireplace or presents under a Christmas tree or exploring the great outdoors. Or maybe for you, the snow and mistletoe talk doesn't mean anything. Maybe home has a different contour or flavor, a simple sound, or maybe even a scent can evoke something of home for you. But I would guess that for most of us, there are two ingredients that really make home, home. First and foremost, it's the food, right? It's the comfort food. And by that, I mean whatever that means for you. It's the comfort of bounty and hunger satisfied. And two, it's the people. It's the relationships. Last Christmas for the first time, my husband Gary and I spent December 24th and 25th alone. We had the tree up. We wrapped the gifts, we put up the decorations, but it just wasn't the same. And I was never so glad that Christmas was on a Sunday <laughs> because we could come and be with you and worship and we needed people. We needed to know that we weren't alone. But every Christmas, many people spend Christmas alone. And in some cases, they choose that solitude over the stresses and strains of being with family. The holidays, you see, can evoke that which is painful and those glittering images. By the way, who decided this is the most wonderful time of the year? Those glittering images can expose old wounds, tension, conflict, painful home realities. And in our prosperous city of Seattle, all too many live without the benefit of a house, much less a home. So it's not surprising that according to one study, 45% of people report dreading this festive season. And even if that's not the case for you, you may feel a bit of letdown after Christmas, some sense that maybe home wasn't all that it's cracked up to be. So perhaps that's not such an easy question. Were you home for Christmas? According to Lisa Sharon Harper, the whole of our lives is a journey to return home, the whole of our lives, returning home. And in our scripture from Luke 2, we're going to find three different depictions of this movement home. As we explore this text, I'm going to connect the concept of home to the biblical concept of the temple and thus of God. 
Because the Israelites understood that the temple was the physical manifestation of God's dwelling on the earth. So this morning, I invite you to consider your own life, your journey home, as the main characters from our scripture come to the temple, come to God, come home. First, Mary and Joseph return home through the law. Second, Simeon returns home through the spirit. And finally, we see Anna, the prophetess, living at home in the temple and in God's presence. As the narrative opens, we find Mary and Joseph with their newborn son, Jesus, named as the angel had instructed, a name that means God delivers God's people. And they're taking him to Jerusalem to the temple to present him to God according to the law. This presentation revisits an important history for the Israelites. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. And so this ritual meant that though their child was born in slavery, he was not a slave. He belonged to God, not to the slave master. And so in this temple presentation, Mary and Joseph come, and the accompanying sacrifice was supposed to be a pigeon or a dove and a lamb. But the law said that if they couldn't afford a lamb, the parents could bring two pigeons instead. So that's what Mary and Joseph have to do. In their poverty, they bring two pigeons and come to the table with their, to the temple with their baby. But Luke emphasizes here that Mary and Joseph are coming in obedience to the law, to claim God's deliverance as Israelites had done for generations before them. In fact, the text repeats four times that it's in response to the law that Mary and Joseph reenact this. Their faithful obedience to come is a good and right reason to come to the temple, to come to God. And as we can see, they get a lot more than they expected out of this temple encounter. In fact, the verse says, they marveled at what was said about Jesus, and then it goes on from there. But in any case, remember, Mary and Joseph come to the temple, in essence, come to their spiritual home in response to God's call via the law. Luke then describes our second carrier, character, Simeon, in glowing terms, he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation. Think about that word. It means the presence of Messiah who brings shalom and puts all things right. Consolation means Israel's home is with God, and God's home is with Israel. It means all oppression, all strife, cease. And as we sing in the carol by Charles Wesley, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. 
And it was this longing heart that Simeon had. He'd been promised that he wouldn't die until he received that consolation, but he'd been waiting a long time, mirroring Israel's long wait for the Messiah for over 800 years. You could say Simeon had the ultimate Advent wait. We find it hard to wait four weeks, right? But he'd been waiting a lifetime. And yet the text says, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Though he'd been waiting and longing for this consolation, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And verse 27 says, he entered the temple moved by the Spirit. Unlike the first scene, his coming is not in response to God's law, but rather in response to this movement of the Spirit. And the text goes on to narrate a divine encounter as these two converge. Mary and Joseph, as the custom of the law required, come in with the baby, just as Simeon, moved by the Spirit, is there. And at this juncture, both the law and the Spirit point to Jesus. Jesus as the fulfillment. And here we find Simeon lovingly taking the baby in his arms and praising God for this long-awaited consolation he's been praying for. What joy, what peace. He says, you can now dismiss this servant in peace. For I've seen the salvation of the Lord. He says, I'm ready. I'm ready to die. But then he goes on and he proclaims the salvation that is not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles. Simeon's beautiful song, that nunc dimittis is what it's called, it translates the first words, now you may dismiss. That song goes far beyond his dreams because the promise now extends to the Gentiles. He, he like Mary and Joseph, got much more than he was expecting expecting he would. But keep in mind that Simeon came to the temple, in essence came home, in response to God's call via the Spirit. Well, very little is said about our third character, Anna, and yet she may be the most intriguing. We know, one, she's very old. In fact, it's rather odd for the text to number her years, whether it means 84 years of age or 84 years a widow. Either way, this is no spring chicken. And she was married seven years, and then her husband died. So she's been a widow for a long time. Can you picture Anna, an elderly woman, a widow, one of the very lowest in the economic structures of her day, she'd suffered great loss in the untimely death of her husband, not just losing her companion, but losing the source of her income, her stability. Widow's friends were destitute. But here we find a strong prophetess. What makes it possible for the lowliest of lowly, the one rejected by society, totally without power, to become a respected voice 
who speaks on God's behalf. Well, the last descriptor in verse 37 gives us the insight we need. Anna never leaves the temple. She worships there night and day, fasting and praying. Anna's made the temple her home now for a long time, in spite of the suffering, in spite of her needs and her dependence, in spite of the way society looks on her, she finds her home in the temple with God and she never leaves, never. <laughs> Think of it. Even when she sleeps or eats or has to go to the bathroom or care for her personal needs, Anna is at home with God, in all of that, she is at home. And no doubt to an outsider, this might look rather boring. I mean, we're talking fasting and prayer. No music, no preaching, no liturgy, not even communion, nothing glitzy, nothing memorable. But Anna's worship is real. <laughs> because Anna is at home. So we see Mary and Joseph coming into the temple in response to God's call in the law. Simeon coming in response to the Holy Spirit's movement. But here we find Anna living in the temple. She speaks as a prophetess because she lives out each moment of her day in God's presence. And this gives her the first look, one of the first looks at baby Jesus whom she immediately recognizes as the Messiah. The only other bit of information we have about Anna is that she's named daughter of Fanuel, which means the face of God. So no wonder she can see Jesus for who he is. In her worship, she's already been looking on the face of God. So when that baby comes in the temple, she's ready. She's primed to see him for who he is, day in and day out. She's practiced looking on the face of God, being at home with God, so that she can recognize and speak on God's behalf. So these three narratives describe a movement toward home with God. First, in response to God's law. Second, in response to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And both of these are good and right responses, but both point to Anna, who lived at the temple. A beautiful picture. Simple. Focused. Needy. Trusting. Living in ongoing worship. So what on earth does this have to do with us today on the eve of 2018? Hundreds of years later, we go to a church, not to a temple. No one in their sane mind is called a prophet or a prophetess. And clearly it's a practical impossibility to live in the temple or to worship night and day. So what does this mean? Well, like us, all three characters in the scripture had very real needs. 
and all bring those needs with them into the temple, into God's presence, to home. Mary and Joseph are so poor they can't afford the law, the lamb, but they come according to the law. Simeon lived for years waiting, longing for God's salvation, but he came, moved by the Spirit. And Anna, a widow, poor, needy, brought her sorrow with her into the temple years before. And there the text tells us she is fasting, an expression of grief. But isn't that what home is for? It's where we come in our poverty. It's where we bring our needs, our deep longings and desires, the sorrows, the losses of our lives. Home is where in the midst of those needs, we're fully known, we're fully loved. Home is where we celebrate a helpless baby who, like all babies, elicits love and tenderness and vulnerability. Home, friends, is where the Almighty God becomes small for us. This year, my own sense of home has been shaken. My left hip wore out and needed to be replaced. And while I was in the hospital recovering from hip surgery, my father died. My aunt died a week later. My oldest brother, a few months later. Two brother-in-laws faced life-threatening illnesses. A nephew was diagnosed with cancer. On a more positive note, Thinking of home, we celebrated two family weddings, remodeled the basement of our house, and both of our children and their spouses relocated. But then last week, my 94-year-old mother fell and was hospitalized with double pneumonia. And on December 20, we were stricken by the tragic news of the unexpected and untimely death of 18-month-old Emerson Park Hoover. Lord, we pray your mercy. Christ, have mercy, we pray. Especially for Emerson's parents, Nate and Allison and their families. I have to admit, at times I feel shaken, not sure how to touch bottom, and my guess is that your concept of home has also been challenged. In fact, in the last 12 months, we as a church family have navigated some troubling waters of change and uncertainty. Maybe like me, you're ready for 2018. <laughs> but I'm beginning to see home in a new light to believe that God has an invitation in the midst of this. An invitation to bring the chaos, the loss, the pain to God so that I can find my home more deeply and live in God's presence like Anna. Because the gospel, friends, the very good news for Christians is that we worship 
a God of the incarnation, our almighty, all-knowing God, lovingly chooses to come to us, to make home with us by entering into our messy and broken world. God's deliverance comes as a helpless baby entering into the darkness of our world, making home somehow with us. Our coming home to God is not something we make happen. Knuckle down, push it through, do it. No, friends. We come in response to what God has already initiated. God making God's home with us. So let's reframe that question. Rather than asking, were you home for Christmas? Let's ask instead, can you believe and trust that God is making God's home with you today in the midst of fears and unknowns, in the midst of stress, in the midst of grief and brokenness? And if so, how do I receive that? How do I enter in and live into God's home with me? Well, let's go back. Remember the two ingredients that make home really home? It's the food and it's the relationships. And this morning as we approach the communion table, we're going to receive both. Here we can be real and bring our hurting and hungry selves because Jesus, as our host, not only feeds us, but feeds us with his broken body, his shed blood. And there's so much more home here than we could ever expect. So I invite you to receive Jesus this morning as your food as your relationship, in your poverty, with your deep longings, bring those sorrows, bring those griefs home. But come because God has first come to you. God provides, welcomes, and woos you into a table of bounty laden with more comfort food than you could ever hope for. Come in response, dear friends. Come to the table. Come home into God's gracious and loving presence. May it be so.